Welcome to episode number 250 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a pseudo of guru, this is the podcast for you. My name is Ryan, and with me today, we have Michael and Jill, which, by the way, and Noah, but Jill, this is your one-year anniversary with us here on Destination Linux. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations, Jill. <laughs> yeah. We all had cake at our own homes to celebrate. Yeah, um, exactly. Probably should have sent... Jill some cake. Oh, but right. the point is, thank you for coming on this show and bringing Aww. all of the happiness and joy that you've brought, not only to us here as hosts, but to the community. So many people leave comments every single week saying how much the show has changed since you joined because you've brought so much happiness and you keep things so light when we're miserable, mean, angry people, <laughs> you make us happy. Uh, so thank Absolutely. you for that, Jill. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining the network because we couldn't imagine it now without you. Oh, I'm so honored. And thank you for for letting me be part of your Linux journey. This, oh, yeah. this is we love amazing. It. We wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> and to celebrate, we have an awesome show today, Jill, lined up. We have just off camera, by the way, the amazing patrons who are hanging out with us. But on this week's episode, we have an interview with the developer of On Wecaster, which is an open source podcast, vodcast, interview, multi-track recording tool that's going to blow your mind. And the interview is a very special avatar there yes. to uh, kind of celebrate as well the Halloween spirit since we're recording this on Halloween. Then we're going to discuss Samsung's latest innovation powered by Linux. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. So we are recording today's episode on somewhat of a special day. It's Halloween. So, of course, we have to do something special to celebrate the show landing exactly on Halloween. So, I have a spooky story to tell you. Oh, gosh. My Not too long ago, it was a cold and dreary day. As I woke to find my apartment in shambles and myself in disarray, I thought for a moment about how far I've come and how it happened this way. This is the only thing I could think of to say. Moving is awful. I hate it now. <laughs> just the worst possible thing to do. I don't suggest it. For those who are not aware, I did recently move this week and not a fan. I used to say that I was okay with moving, but now, oh, no. Oh, he was talking. So first of all, that little story was <laughs> Edgar Allan Nope. So let's yeah. not do that oh, again. <laughs> Wait, second who, of all. Who just did a dad joke? <clears throat> you did a dad joke. <laughs> uh, second of all, Michael this whole time, Jill, has been like, I'm like, hey, do you have movers, people to help? It's, I'm a minimalist. I barely got, it's going to be so easy. Then the day of his move, he's just like, I'm like, how are things going? I'm so miserable. Oh, your okay. back was probably hurting. Yeah. He's exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> Not really. I, I, I did say the minimalist thing, and it is still true, but it is also still terrible. I still, Aww. and it you also took me monitor, many days. Didn't you? Uh, I, oh, I, no. I did. I did break one of my, I, actually I have three monitors. And of course, of the three, there is one that is the most important. And that is the one that messed up. So fantastic. Oh, no. However, I do have a solution for this particular thing, but I'm going to save it for Hardware Addicts. So if you want to find out, tune into Hardware Addicts next episode, which will be coming out in a few days. So there you go. I dig it. I dig it. Well, while you're dealing with your moving woes, Ben took the time to write us an email here in the community feedback section. It says, greetings, folks. Just checking on people out there to see if anyone is using LibraWolf. I've not pulled the trigger on it myself, but I've been leaning towards it. I can see myself using a I can't see myself using a Chrome-based browser because I'm skeptical of Google. I think Microsoft would probably be the best de-Googlifier of any group out there using it as a base. I think they blew it big time when they only offered Microsoft Edge exclusively for an OS nobody was in a hurry to use, which was Windows 10. I suppose they didn't want to be harassed with lawsuits from their past. I use Firefox with uBlock Origin, Bitwarden, and an extension called Cookie Auto Delete. That last one watches for you to finish using a site before immediately erasing its cookies. I enjoy the show. Thanks for the effort each week, Ben. So does anybody checked out LibraWolf or a fan of it? I've yes. not personally used it for any length of time. I've seen it and kind of played with it over the years, but not in a 
long-term standpoint. Yeah, there were there was a couple years there where I was using it a lot and love it. But now that Garuda Linux's web browser Fire Dragon um, is based on LibreWolf, I've been using that. <laughs> yes. Because I love That's their look cool. and feel and the theming. And they've added special extensions to it that I love. So very it's cool. that's, really that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have not, I've not done a lot of experience with LibreWolf, but I have tried it out. And I do think there are some elements of it that I, do, that I like more than Firefox. However, it is, it needs to be clearly stated that all of these different uh, forks of Fire, Firefox are not forks. They are derivatives. So technically you would mm -hmm. still need Firefox to exist. So for the people who are promoting like all of these instead of Firefox and saying boo Firefox, all of those still 100% depend on Firefox existing. So promote those if you want to, but also don't, you know, leave off the boo Firefox part uh, just because <laughs> you still need Firefox That's for all point. of those. That's a really good point. I mean, it's not saying that one of them, I guess, couldn't take over that project if Firefox died, but it would be a massive so true. undertaking yeah. with that requires at least dozens of employees probably directly working on Firefox every single day today to do what it does to try to compete. Um, so yeah, that that's an interesting concept there. Um, cause there are a lot of people who will say these alternatives and then, cause I can't stand Firefox, but they're, wouldn't exist Based on without Firefox. Firefox. Yeah. But yeah. you are standing on Firefox's shoulders when you use those. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to put that in there as the dad joke because we're, we're apparently doing those on the show now. Uh, but I do think that LibreWolf is very interesting and I do think there's a lot, and there's other ones that are also interesting like Fire Dragon. Uh, and, but I think that there's a lot of potential that I think that Firefox should, could learn some stuff from LibreWolf as well. What I've learned more importantly is Jill's still on Garuda, which means Jill's yeah. using Arch, which means Jill, <laughs> me and you are the Arch people on this show. So are you yes. like official Arch Arch now, like the whole way? Or I mean, it's Arch based, so it's close enough, your family. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's Arch based. I mean, I used Arch years ago when it was, you know, brand new before it was the trendy hipster thing. That what? <laughs> Whoa, I'm not a hipster because I it, use it. <laughs> It is what? very trendy, this hipster. I think that's art. very accurate. It is not trendy. When you have I'm a going meme, it's the grain. I take the road less traveled. No, not when you have a meme specifically talking about how you use it. I'm pretty I'm, sure that's very trendy. I'm not a hipster. I'm. I am but, writing a novel at Starbucks on Arch <laughs> while I'm there, but that has nothing to do with uh, any skinny jeans while <laughs> sipping a while, while sipping a a, a a soy latte. Yeah. <laughs> Well, very good. Well, thank you, Ben, for sending in that question. Here's the thing that I want to end with. Use the use any of these browsers. Go yeah. and play with them. See mm -hmm. what you think of them. But go look at the source code. See what the privacy options that they're leaving on by default or taking away. Compare it to Firefox. And maybe because like this one is based on Firefox. Take some of those ideas. Go into the Firefox forums and say, hey, why don't you guys do these type of features? This would make me actually really want to keep using your browser and things like that to kind of with an encouraging message, not an angry or ugly message to kind of get Firefox in that mindset of what users are wanting out there. But my feedback is to you is why not use LibreWolf? Totally switch to it. Try it for a couple of weeks. See if it's something that works for you. And then write us back and let us know how your journey goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we also want you to know that we, we're, we're not basically, we're not judging anybody whatever browser they use. We use whatever you want as long as it's not Google Chrome. <laughs> <laughs> or Edge. Or Edge. <laughs> we don't care what browser you use. What we care about is that you write into us, that we hear from you and the communication process is successful. What we want you to do is we want you to get your official DLN mug. We want you to fill it with some coffee or bubbly, then sit down at your nearest stool and open up Chrome, Firefox, Edge, Safari, whatever it is you want to open and send an email to comments to destinationlinux.org. Our robots will scan it. They'll place it into the show. If it's good enough, we might even read it on the show. And if you want to get involved in the community discussion, well, we have an option for you there too. We can get involved in the community forum by going to dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean and their new app platform service. It helps you build modern cloud native apps for way less money. With their app platform service, you can build, deploy, and scale apps with static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point your app platform at 
Simply point their app platform at your GitHub or GitLab repository and let them do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Static Sites, Docker, or container images, their app platform is going to take care of you. Now, by running it on their app platform, you're running it on DigitalOcean's infrastructure. They're the first company to get all SSDs into their servers. DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's all built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, meaning they provide you with a smoother, faster migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure and set it up too. Now, the best part, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast, as a member of the greater DLN community, you can get started for just how much is this can't be right. Yeah, it's 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 free. We can get started for, for free. <laughs> for free? free? I, apparently, I, I guess they're giving it away for free. Oh, wait a minute. It's better than free. It's a hundred. They're giving you a hundred dollars. Ordinarily, we would charge you a hundred dollars to get access to DigitalOcean's infrastructure, but in some sort of backwards, crazy shenanigans, they're going to give you a hundred dollars. They're going to give you a hundred dollars free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. Why would they do that? Well, they do that because they know once you try it, you'll never go back. You'll be a DigitalOcean customer like for life, like we are. So go to do.co/dln. That link again is do.co/dln. It lets DigitalOcean know that you appreciate them sponsoring us. It lets us know that you appreciate what DigitalOcean can do for you, and it will get you hooked on DigitalOcean's new app platform. That link again, do.co slash DLN. Get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform, and a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So today on the show, you might notice there's an avatar here, and this is your weasel. Weasel, welcome to Destination Linux here. We're going to discuss a product that we have absolutely fallen in love with, whether it's hardware addicts you're listening to, Deal and Extend, basically any of our audio-only podcasts we're using on WeCaster, which the developer for on WeCaster is here in avatar form celebrating Hello. Facebook's meta. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> But here in Avatar 4, which is awesome. So, you weasel, welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah. I'm y'all weasel. Hello. <laughs> I just, I love the fact that you joined us as this Avatar thing. It's just awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. And you weasel, by the way, is also your developer name on GitHub if people want to look at some of your work there. So, yep. that's perfect. Um, so, before we begin, I want to learn a little more about you. You seem like an interesting character. You look very different than everyone else. Around. No. Um, recording but I live know- from the island of Dr. Moreau. So, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first start writing software? And out of curiosity, also because your software is so impressive, I really want to know what IDE you're using as well to write all of this stuff. But let's start with how you first got started writing software to begin with. I, I I have been programming since I was eight. Uh, my parents both have liberal arts degrees, and they wanted better for me. Uh, so I learned I learned BASIC on the Commodore sixty four, and uh, uh, I actually even learned C on the Commodore sixty four in a nightmare K and R C dialect or the Turbo C powers it anyway. Um, and and I I mean I've been I've been programming ever since. Uh, uh, and my IDE hasn't changed much. I write it on the Commodore 64 and then transfer it over the IEC bus to a retina. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, people get stuck in their ways. I, I still do a lot in Vim. Uh, uh, it, uh, you know, I'm not especially advertising it. I have used various IDEs. IDEs help a lot, but it's it, none of them have quite, like stuck so to speak none of them have have uh, su- supplanted the the simple uh and so a lot i still do in in vim admittedly i have vim set up to do all of the auto completion all the, you know the, all all of the stuff that uh, the basic stuff you would want from an ide but at that level yeah i'm i'm i am living in the distant past <laughs> well you made a lot of our listeners really happy who are vim fans out there cuz you know the vim the Vim army is strong out yes. there, so you, utilizing that is definitely <laughs> going to make a lot of fans for you just in that aspect alone. So you've kind of stuck in Vim, but you, have you tried out all these other IDEs, the ones that like Visual Basic code yeah. and all this stuff that everybody's saying is changing their life and you just haven't found it to be all that exciting, which is interesting. Well, so, so I, I don't, so I don't want to disparage, uh, sure. uh, IDEs because I, I do find them useful and I, I have used several IDEs and, and there are certain times during development 
where that kind of power is really helpful and and having a single integrated environment that can uh, understand sort of the connections between all of the pieces of your code and can catch errors early is is extremely helpful. Uh, and there are other times during development where you're fixing one little kernel in the code, it's not going to affect anything else. And uh, vim. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to, to be a warrior in the editor wars. I, if, if, you're, <laughs> if you're happy with vim, if you're happy with emacs, if you're happy with visual yeah. studio code, if you're happy uh, uh, with Eclipse in 15 minutes when it starts up, then then that's, you know, great. <laughs> Not a warrior, but on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only say negative things, I, you know. <laughs> Never positive. I, I love it. I love it. So let's talk about OnWeCaster. So you decided to release OnWeCaster as open source software instead of keeping all the secret sauce to yourself, which, of course, we are very much appreciative of. <laughs> uh, but what was your motivation behind releasing it as open source? There's there's a lot of background, and I think that uh, uh, like the the reason why I made it in the first place really comes into it. So I I was I was led due to some background to to discover that this area of software exists out there. There are uh, uh, there there are many competitors to OneWeCaster, and if you're a digital audio expert, and there aren't a lot of digital audio experts out there, but if you're a digital audio expert, a lot of them you can just look at their web website and go charlatan. They clearly have no idea what they're doing. Mm. And a lot of OnWeCaster's users are refugees from these charlatan platforms written by people who have no clue what they're doing, no experience in digital audio, no experience in real-time programming. And to these, to these people, to these refugees, what OnWeCaster is, is that thing you were using before, but written by someone who isn't an imbecile. <laughs> and I can't put that on a feature list. I can't put, I, I, I can't write that as a feature. But the way you have that feature is, you don't believe me? Here's my code. You want to understand how I do sync? Here's my code. You want to understand how I capture audio? Here's my code. You want to see the real-time component? Here's the audio worklet processor. It's all there. And to most people, that's not directly useful. But the fact that it's there means it's auditable and understandable, and people should care about that. Absolutely. Yeah, I love uh, that. Tell me a little bit about why you chose to develop on WeCaster. Yeah, so this sort of fits in with the previous question. So uh, there's a there's a bit of background that that you may not know. So I I don't make a podcast. Uh, I I make uh, game videos and I often record them online with friends, and that's why I want this kind of software for that sort of synced multi-track audio recording. And in like 2016, the way you did that was you all connected on Mumble, and Mumble has a built-in multi-track recorder, and yep. it's fine. It's, it's recording after internet transit, so it's not great, but it's fine. And then in around 2017, maybe late 2016, everybody jumped ship to Discord, and Discord doesn't have that and clearly doesn't care to have that. So I was annoyed that everybody had jumped ship to Discord. Mm -hmm. And so I threw together over a weekend a recording bot for Discord uh, to, to scratch this itch, to give me multi-track audio recording. And it's sort of a niche use case, right? Like it's you're recording after the, the internet transfer, so it's not it's not sort of broadly useful. So I figured, okay, I'm just going to make this free and open source. I'm going to make it so anybody can use it. It's it's very niche. Maybe I'll get a few users, whatever. Uh, since then, Craig has recorded over 250 years of audio and currently <laughs> records 2,500 hours a day. And wow. when it started wow. getting popular, I didn't quite get it? I couldn't because I like this is a niche use case. What why? And so I started asking around and a lot of the time the answer I got was that they were recording podcasts on this. And that was kind of terrifying to me because you know, if you're recording audio that's going to go over video game audio, maybe the fidelity isn't as critical, but if you're recording a podcast, this is the only audio you have. And so I asked, what, how did you end up on Craig? And a lot of them told me, well, I used to use, name competitor here of OnWeCaster, but 
I found they kept failing me. It wasn't reliable. The synchronization didn't work. A friend of mine told me to use Craig, and you know what? The synchronization is always perfect. The audio quality is not great, but it's good enough for me, and I just, I need that reliability. And so I, I was sort of, I discovered that these competitors exist because of that, and I started looking around. And like I said, if you're a uh, digital audio expert, you look at these and you go, charlatan, charlatan. <laughs> and so I wasn't, I wasn't motivated by like money. I wasn't thinking, oh, there's an opening here. I can make tons of cash. It was, it was just pure and unsullied spite for these outright charlatans <laughs> that, that are competing way out of their depth. So I, I want to undercut them. That's uh, awesome. But also, you know, I want to offer something that actually works in this space yeah. and that, that demonstrates why it works. Well, what's amazing is how many developers are there on WeCaster? How many people do you hire to work on this product? <laughs> uh, me. Uh, Wereweasel is a sole proprietorship with one employee, uh, which is me. It, it's amazing to me because we use, when you talked about these competitors out there, mm -hmm. there was a stint where we were looking for a solution for not only the podcasts on the network, but also for video podcasts on the network. And we went through, I don't know, Michael, 12 companies that varied in range from you know, $12 a month all the way to $150 plus a month. And they all would, not all of them, some of them would start out terrible right at the front, but some would start out good. And then you would have, be recording podcasts and lose all your audio. It wouldn't be synced. Somebody couldn't connect always. There was always or something the that worst made it unusual. was like, we had one where actually two of them did this, where we couldn't hear each other for no reason. Like, there were three people in the show. One could hear everyone, and then the other two couldn't hear each other for no reason at all. Yeah. And it, we had to, like, kind of do, like, this pass back and forth, you know, the telephone system or whatever. Where we said one thing, like, okay, this is what he said. Like, that doesn't work in a so, podcast. So, early in beta, on WeCaster had that problem a lot, to be honest. And and the answer is, WebRTC isn't very good. I, I really, I really <laughs> wish WebRTC was a better standard than it is. I get it. They gotta, like, set a standard everybody can do. I, at this point, you know, I, I don't even try there. I use Jitsi, and Jitsi works pretty well, and... And so just plug that in. But I do, I feel some sympathy for that particular side of it because, boy, making it work on WebRTC is is an uphill battle. I, I thank the Jitsi folks a lot for getting that part working. Yeah, absolutely. Aww. Yeah, Weasel, our virtual Weasel avatar. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Uh, and this is actually perfect for Halloween, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, I you did not that. That. Yeah, yeah. Halloween special has an wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So speaking of podcasts, one of the features that makes on WeCaster stand out is the fact that it records in many different formats from lossy opus to lossless flack. Can t you tell us in gen in a general sense how on WeCaster accomplishes this? So I, I, I'm going to split hairs a little bit here because uh, at, at recording time, uh, lossy opus and lossless flack are the only options. There's recording yeah. and there's export. Uh, and yes. you can export in all sorts of formats. Uh, at, at recording time, there's kind of no reason to support many formats because you're just going to export it in something else anyway. So at recording time, some competitors who sh shan't be named use the Media Recorder API. So if you're familiar with the Web Audio API, uh, there's no reason any of you should be, but if you are, uh, the Media Recorder API is built into browsers and it captures audio in like a, a complete audio file. It, it doesn't it doesn't just capture uh, frames of audio. It, it captures it gives you an audio file. Um, and it is wildly not suited to purpose for, for doing this kind of podcast recording. And that's not a complaint about the API. It wasn't meant for it. Uh, but the, the, the competitors that only do the actual record side in Opus, that's why they're using the Media Recorder API. They plugged that API into some third-party audio processing API. Hey, I've written 12 lines of code, 30 bucks a month, please. Uh, so... Uh, on WeCaster is actually capturing the raw samples. It uses an audio worklet processor, if you're familiar with uh, 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 the Web Audio API, and uh, shuttling those off. And it uses libav.js, which is mm -hmm. my own port of the venerable FFmpeg libraries. 
and you know, when you're open source, you can use open source components. Hooray! Yeah. So <laughs> lib, how do I how do I encode in Opus Live lib Opus via FFmpeg? How do I encode in Flack uh, with Flack? Uh, so at the record time, it's it's that. Once it's on the server, then uh, the that export again. It's it's you know I shuttle it through FFmpeg. Hooray! Uh, there is sort of a, a secondary side to this that like a digital audio expert, if they looked at the list of export formats I I support. Uh, they might go, mm-hmm. it's suspicious that all of these are write streamable. Uh, so some formats, in order to write a file, you have to, to write to the end and then write like an index at the beginning. Oh, uh, and suspiciously, yeah. none of my formats that I offer for download are like that. And the reason is they're literally streaming direct the download to you. I don't save this intermediate format on the system. Okay. Uh, and that this is just a scalability thing. Like, why would I do some conversion, take up some very precious disk space for that and then shuttle that off to you they're all just just being streamed live and so uh yeah the, the two answers are ffmpeg and sort of knowing uh, uh basically knowing when not to write it yourself oh awesome <laughs> that and is I'm a good so thing to excited. know i'm so happy that you can download it as an audacity project yeah that's brilliant and that's that's brilliant <laughs> yeah. for our use here on the network that actually leads to my next question about that, because I want to dig into this Audacity project thing. This is such a simple feature that why has nobody thought of this thought of it. besides you? <laughs> like what I when 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 I was told from I think it was Brandon from the Pseudo Show first found your product and oh. then came and was telling all of us like you gotta check this thing out. He's like, Yeah, you download the Audacity file. You open it, it automatically opens an Audacity with you with all of your audio synced from everybody in a very high quality format. And I was like, no, that'll never work. No way. So we record the first episode of Hardware Addicts and I'm getting ready to edit, which is a painful process. And I click download the Audacity file and everybody's synced and everybody has their own channel in there so that I can edit people individually. And it's beautiful <laughs> you don't have a podcast you say but how did you come up with such a great feature if you don't have a podcast how did yeah. you come up with this uh so so that that's actually the the you don't have a uh, podcast how did you come that's actually a great point because i don't use that feature because <laughs> i when i'm when i'm mixing it into videos that doesn't actually help me any because i don't i don't need it in audacity i need it in shortcut so it's it's actually a truly bizarre story, and and there's a very good reason why the competitors don't do it, and it's because Audacity was kind of not meant to do this. They accidentally support this feature. So uh, uh, years ago, because I first implemented this with Craig, uh, uh, the the Discord bot, I was uh, uh, somebody asked me whether this would be possible. And I was looking into Audacity. So Audacity's project format is incredibly complicated, and it it stores all of its audio raw, which is kind of pointless, especially if you're going to transfer it over the network. Uh, And so between the two of those, like, directly using Audacity's project format seemed really difficult. Uh, But Audacity has a export to compressed project option. Uh, and if you do that, it exports and it's a much simpler format. It just basically lists all of the tracks and then they're sitting in the data directory in augvorbis format. Uh, now that wasn't acceptable for me because Vorbis is lossy compressed and there's mm-hmm. no reason to use lossy compression at this phase. Uh, but the format was so simple. I went, well, surely I could just sort of twiddle this a bit and make it work. Uh, and so my first attempt was, I'm just going to replace the augvorbis files with FLAC files, and then in the project file, I'll replace those references with FLAC files, and I can generate that trivially. If you do that, Audacity explodes. <laughs> like it, it gets so confused. And this, well, so I don't know whether that's been fixed since then. But this is—it's not even a complaint about Audacity. I am abusing this format, right. uh, so th- it was never meant to do that. But it, it like goodbye all your memory. I've chewed through everything <laughs> trying to load this relatively simple mm-hmm. file, and so I was sort of frustrated with that. But I figured there's got to be some way to make this work. And so my next attempt was uh, flack in the aug container because it used Vorbis in the AUG container. That works, but it requires the uh, FFmpeg plugin to Audacity to load. 
what I finally found that worked is flack files that are just named.org. <laughs> it's for some reason really there concerned with the file name. <laughs> Can load flack files from a compressed project, but not if they're named.flag. <laughs> it's really strange. Wow. And so I've I've had people come back and ask me, I, I got the Audacity project, it works great. Why are there flack files named.org in here? <laughs> and the answer is uh, audacity <laughs> what a great hack though man and yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of the greatest features like i can't thank you for implementing that like it well, so the, is such a time saver for me the other side of this is just having them well synchronized and yes you don't you don't have to download the audacity project for them to be well synchronized whatever format you download if you just align zero to zero they're all they're all well synchronized that's just how on Wecaster works uh, and that's that's a whole other bag of snakes. Uh, uh, implementing synchronization correctly is like what this kind of platform should be doing. This is why I was sort of laughing as as you were doing the you know clap synchronization mm-hmm. before starting this uh, uh, interview. Uh, that like the synchron the good quality synchronization to me is the main feature of on WeCaster. That is that is why people should use on WeCaster because it will always be in sync. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to use it. And the the only thing that we, the reason why we haven't used it for DL is because of the video element. And that's why we were, I wanted to talk to you about that. But first of all, we've already talked about uh, a few of the many features that Omnicaster offers. But I'm curious, what are some of your, fav- your favorite features, the things that you like the most about it? So, and also, what are things that you're working on for the future to, you know, bring out some of your favorites to, you know, everybody to be able to use it? My, my sort of favorites tend to be little things that people wouldn't necessarily notice. Uh, so, uh, like, on WeCaster is 100% usable with a screen reader. And oh, for cool. some reason, Wonderful. none of my... Co- well, I don't know if none of my competitors are, but for some reason, many of my competitors aren't. And it's not that hard. Like, I, I test it regularly with NVDA. I, I have uh, normal vision. I don't, I don't need to use this, of course. But there's no reason why a platform like this should be inaccessible to the blind. Why? Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's make an audio platform that you also need to see for. That's great. Uh, on, yeah. So on top of that, uh, it supports through Vosk live captions. So it, it might be somewhat usable to the deaf. I, you know, it's, it's AI captions. It works as well as it works, but it, it supports that. So I think just accessibility is a feature that, that people forget about. <laughs> that, Absolutely. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, that is yeah, really thank you so about much. That stuff. Uh, yeah. and, and in terms of the, the sort of features that, that other people, or that, that, you know, people might more generally realize. So I, I developed, this is, it's a, it's strange. I developed a in-browser audio editing package, <laughs> uh, uh, sort of an in-browser version yes. of Audacity, wildly lighter than that. Uh, uh, so <laughs> you can, like, there's an advanced processing button when you, when you download an, uh, on WeCaster recording and you can do automatic leveling, noise reduction, uh, uh, yes, all, yes, and please. you can you can <laughs> yes. export in formats like Wave and ALAC if you want that for some reason, uh, and all of that is is in this tool that it's doing it entirely in the browser, uh, and uh, it's you know there's nobody else quite lunatic enough to uh, uh, make an in browser audio editing package, so I'm kind of proud of that. Oh, that's one of my favorite features. I mean, you could do everything from. From adjust, you know, the automatic gain control with the dynam- dynamic audio normalizer. Yeah. Brilliant. Kudos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> OnWeCaster is currently in beta. And as we talk about it, the official launch is going to be tomorrow, November 1st. So we're all excited um, about what's going to come with the software. But one of the things that people are going to notice is that uh, OnWeCaster is an open source project, but also has a commercial service tied to it. Tell us a little bit about the pricing model that you're going to be using. Uh, yeah, so so it's it's good to to separate the software from the service because of course if you if you want to use OnWeCaster for free you can run it yourself it's open source. Uh, the OnWeCaster service at eCaster.com. Uh, so we have an a la carte pricing model. I don't think anybody else has an a la carte pricing model. So if you occasionally do. Uh, 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 podcast recording with guests, then you can use that pricing model. And that's $1 an hour prorated by the minute. So if you're going to do a 30-minute interview with somebody and you don't usually do 
uh, uh, podcast recordings with guests, that's 50 cents. Uh, or if you want uh, lossless flack recording, it's $2 an hour for that. Alternatively, there is the subscription model. People who do, you know, a lot more podcasting would probably, or a lot more multi-user podcasting, would probably find that a more acceptable uh, uh, way to go. Uh, and that's $10 a month for the, the regular 128 k- kilobit opus recording, or $15 a month for lossless flack recording. Uh, and it's ridiculously reasonable. so good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was looking at your frequently asked question, and it says, one, it says, why is it so expensive? And immediately followed by, why is it so inexpensive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I have this I have this terrible fear that tomorrow when it goes out of beta, I'll have like three subscribers and then that's not going to be enough to pay for itself. Or the alternative fear that I'm going to have 3,000 subscribers. <laughs> and I need I need something in the middle to maybe pay for the server. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, you know, we're going to have our subscription. So, you know, you oh, at least sure. have like uh, a couple of shows right there from it. So I don't <laughs> I don't think you're going to have that problem. You're probably going to have the 3000 problem more likely. Um, it's funny. So, you know, the question that I wanted to ask you was worded in such a way of like, if you knew a wizard and you could, mag- you know, wave a magic wand and get one thing done on your service right now, what would it be? But the fact that I'm hearing you talk and everything you've done is wizard like. Therefore, you are a wizard. Aww. I guess. What's the thing you want to fix next, wizard? <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I do. I want to say that that on Wecaster is a triumph of knowing what not to do yourself, like knowing what to roll your own and knowing what to use existing software. So a lot of the wizardry is sort of, yeah, I, I know what FFmpeg is and understand how to use it. I'm not, uh, you know, trying to roll everything of my, my own, nor am I trying to, to do something in between. Um, so I, I have... Uh, plans for better streaming support in particular. I know a lot of podcasts like this one, for example, are uh, uh, sort of dependent on the streaming side on WeCaster is really more of a record ahead service. Uh, I would like to investigate other uh, technologies for the actual live voice and video chat. I've, I've sort of expressed uh, my dissatisfaction with WebRTC. I think it is possible to uh, to work around that. So, the the state of video recording right now works and it's well synchronized like everything else, but I think uh, it's it's uh, uh, not it's sort of not well connected with everything else. So just sort of having that be better connected and a little bit clearer, uh, it's a, it's a lot of that that sort of level of features uh, in terms of uh, sort of you know, major, we're going to do this and this and this. Uh, I'm working on improving captioning. I think captioning is is something oh, that's really important great. to people. Yeah. Uh, oh, I would like to introduce into uh, the, into on Weasel, the uh, browser-based audio editing platform. It supports captions, and so it could support sort of text mode editing of uh, a podcast where you are essentially oh, seeing the wow. transcript and you can select and delete things. There's no reason it shouldn't be able to do that. Uh, with with a <laughs> enough transcript, like he got in our out. brains and said, "What yeah. would you yeah. if you could dream of anything for your podcast? What <laughs> yeah. would you like?" And he's just listing, listing all, them all the things off we right want. Here. Wow! And also, Gosh, like I have to know it, from the transcript, can we just like export the transcript as well, like as a separate yes. file? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, everything. So the, on Weasel, uh, so if you if you use live captions, it downloads in WebVTT. Uh, if you use on Weasel, it it downloads that and, and exports in WebVTT as well. Wow. Okay. We want to be a part of this journey with you, if that's not clear. <laughs> like, uh, we definitely uh, want to um, be a part of this because it's just it's amazing what you've done, and I guess it's so amazing to us too because we spent we we the true story is we talked about trying twelve, but we tried twelve over a three year period where we yep. would go through stints of getting services and services and services, and they all just failed, or they wouldn't even let you get involved. You couldn't even speak to people. Getting a hold of somebody from oh, these yeah. companies. They would have sales channels to sell this stuff, thousands of dollars of packages, and they wouldn't show up to the sales meetings. It was unbelievable, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the stuff we were coming across. So just 
having somebody who's in the open source world like you are and knows so much about it and somehow without a podcast understands all of our podcast needs <laughs> it's wonderful <laughs> like i yeah. love it and and also is it's an exciting platform for us just like ryan said some of our shows are already using the platform and they're making making it possible to you know make it easier and especially with the audacity download thing that is just such a time saver for a lot of them but destination linux is a video podcast and you talked about uh des- like about video as a part of the the platform and what you're planning to do and i wanted to say i would be happy to be a beta tester for everything related to this, uh, because I, I, I want to be involved in helping that. So if you have any things that you want to you know, have, like you could just say that DLN is going to be uh, offering to be beta testing for whatever next thing you want to do. I just yeah. wanted to put that out there and let you know. <laughs> okay, keep in touch. <laughs> so, yeah, Weasel, we've you know uh, mentioned multiple, to- uh, multiple times how OnWeCaster is an open source software. So before... We let you get back to it. If people would like to contribute to OnWeCaster in some way, how would they go about doing that? What help do you need? <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, if if you are if you are a digital audio encoding expert, particularly if you have built tools related to audio processing that would help podcasts, basically. Uh, either chat with me on Discord, it's, it's linked from the, the contact page, or you just go to the GitHub for on WeCaster. A, a lot of the sort of audio engineering tasks are these really, you know, they're, they're flashy features that uh, that competitors can, can put up there. Look, you can do all of this automatic processing. They're not doing that. They're contracting a third-party audio processing API that are the experts. So it's, you know, it's coming across well. It, you know, I obviously can't do that. And I'm certainly not going to use uh, uh, proprietary backends for that kind of thing. So if you're doing open source and you're doing sort of useful intelligent audio processing stuff that's that's what i want to hear from awesome we hope we can get some more people in there to jump in and help but you're doing an amazing job i'm blown away that this isn't a company of 26 people who finally produced this considering how giant these companies are out there that are making products that are uh terrible in comparison (laughs) so Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for creating this product and giving it to the open source community so that we can all enjoy it and use it. You've saved Destination Linux Network countless amounts of hours already. We're huge fans of it. We look forward to bringing you back on as well uh, Mm -hmm. to see how everything's going and how you're handling the 3,000 users tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see. (laughs) Thank you, man. Yeah. Bye. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords for you in also, even automatically fill in passwords so you don't have to do any of this stuff. You can access your data across many different types of devices as well, like your web browser extensions or mobile apps or desktop application or even on the command line. Plus, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. And let me clarify, locally on your devices. So the, the, the data that is sent to their servers is a bunch of gibberish nonsense that cannot be decrypted without your device devices. And that is just so awesome. And you can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But I think you want to check out their premium account because they have a lot of great stuff and it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. For less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. And all of this for less than a dollar per month. And so make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about some news, and this is really interesting because Samsung is bringing more gaming to Linux, and the way they're doing it is very, very interesting, and it's a, it's actually a really... Wait, Samsung? Samsung. Samsung, Samsung. Yeah. yes. this. So Samsung basically caught, caught our radar this week because of their announcement about launching a new cloud gaming service. Now, this is not necessarily an exciting thing because we've already seen a lot of different cloud gaming services, but the way they're doing it is very interesting. So we already have Google Stadia and NVIDIA and Sony and all that, but the way they're doing it is 
they're going to be incorporating this technology into their TVs. For those who don't know, Samsung, according to the strategy analytics research, approximately 21% of, of the smart TV markets sold in 2018 run the Tizen platform, which is the Samsung devices, and it's the most popular smart TV platform around. Mm-hmm. So having that instantly available to 21% of all smart T or all the TV market is very interesting because it could be, you know, putting more people in experience with Linux. So because they're powering this service and also the smart TVs are being powered by Tizen, which is a Linux based OS that puts this potentially with like 200 million devices worldwide. This is very unique time for Samsung to be going into this market. To me, this reminds me a lot, this uh, cloud gaming platform market as like 3D TVs where the market was pushing it so hard and nobody cared or wanted it. (laughs) Um, But this is an interesting time because we have so much of a, a shortage on any technology out there from a supply chain standpoint. So you can't go out and just go buy the new PS5 or the new Xbox. It's very difficult to get your hands on it. Mm -hmm. Getting video cards, near impossible. And the ones you can get, the price is skyrocketed through the roofs. So there are a lot of people who want to game or want to do something with the holidays coming around with their families and things, but don't have a means to do so, don't have the hardware to do so. What's interesting about Samsung is they're already incorporated in so many many homes. So many people I know have Mm -hmm. Samsung TVs in their homes already. And the fact that you could just plug two controllers into that and do AAA gaming through the cloud, yes, there'll be some stuttering. No, it won't be as fast as the PS5 or if you had a dedicated gaming PC because you're gonna have lag issues and you have to have certain internet. So it's not for everyone, but they it's certainly more attractive than having to go out on all these other services and buy additional hardware, already have a very powerful laptop or something around when you could just u- literally use your TV um, to run it. I also love the fact that the whole back end, and by the way, this is the same for nearly every one of those services you named off is using Linux. And then when you think about Steam Deck and everything else coming out, I mean, Linux mm-hmm. is becoming the premier platform for gaming out there. And that's yes. huge. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. And and like you were saying, Ryan, Ryan because Couch couch entertainment is so easily accessible and so many people have samsung tizen smart tvs Uh, me and my husband do we have a samsung frame frame tv and that's where we consume a majority of our entertainment content like youtube netflix and disney plus and i really think you know this actually could be kind of a game changer literally for linux gaming um this this has that possibility because yeah the infrastructure is already there all you got to do is download an app and hook up a few controllers. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. And the combination yeah. everywhere, too. Yeah. On top of it, Tizen is like, they, they have it in vehicles. Mm-hmm. They have it on mobile, the TVs. They have wearables with this thing on there. Of course, I don't think you're going to be <laughs> playing very much games on your watch. But yeah. the point is that they, they're putting this Tizen OS kind of all over the place um, across their infrastructure, which creates some really unique opportunities for them to leverage their tablets and other things with this gaming service that other competitors here really don't have. I feel like this is particularly interesting because when you look at Apple M1 release out there that a lot of people were going crazy over and we'll be covering in the next Hardware Addicts of why some of that craziness is way overblown. But there is some amazing things happening with that Apple Silicon in there that is just, it has, it is a, a technological marvel. It's amazing what they've done. But the one thing Apple can't do, oops, the one thing Apple can't <laughs> do that was, that it's been shown in the benchmarks, everybody's like, oh, it's faster than any x86 platform and all this stuff, except if you try to put a game on it. And then uh-huh. you're lucky to get 30 frames per second. And so like, this is an area where Linux, of course, is dominating. People don't want the new Windows. They're not happy with the changes with Windows. And Linux has kind of come in here in this market in such a big way, thanks to Code Weavers and Steam and all of those things, but also all these platforms being built on Linux. I mean, it's kind of an exciting time, I think, for it Linux. It really is. You know, and Samsung, you know, may do some Proton development as well, which which would, you know, make make it even better for all the games to come to come to Linux. I I kind of see that as well yep. because they're going to need to port they will they'll probably want to port some Windows games. 
Yeah, they yeah. pack port. Like, there's a lot of these yeah. uh, platforms and the, the, the backend stuff that are making games being portable to Linux and also game making games that are, you know, doing some work yeah. in the Proton area. That, and this is just another example of that. And I think that really the, the, the funny thing about all of these different services and all these different things we've talked about, we, we talk about gaming on this show a lot. And there are some times where people are not, you know, t- interested in the gaming factor because they're, they're not gamers themselves. But gaming is super important to innovation of hardware and technology because it's always pushing the hardware as much as it can to get the best frames, to get the best performance and all of that stuff. So it's very, very important. And if you go back like, 10 years or something gaming was very very minimal like i'm pretty sure we didn't even have steam until 2012 or something so Mm -hmm. like we were very few games and people would look at the idea of linux gaming as a joke and now we're in a situation where linux gaming has the potential to be the platform for gaming even in the sense of like the cloud stuff and because of the steam deck even just in general. So I think the gaming aspect of Linux is incredibly exciting, but also incredibly important. So I am very happy to hear that Samsung is making their own service and using Tizen to do it. Yay. Do you think, let me ask you this, do do we think at all that there is a downside to this? You know, we look at Linux, we celebrate Linux primarily because it's the operating system where we can put on anything, we can make do anything. But does this kind of take away from the ownership of the game. I was having a discussion with a friend of mine a few weeks ago. We were talking about he had backed up a lot of the Flash games that he played as a kid. And I said, isn't it sad that a lot of the games that are coming out today that are prevalent or popular are not, there's no way to back them up because they'll essentially be a service. And does this kind of skate us in that direction? You like there's there's only there's a limitation to technology regardless. Like there's always this, you know, you can never have something forever. You have mm-hmm. like the de- de- degradation of the stuff. So I don't think that there's necessarily this is a negative because it guarantees that you don't have control. I do think that the services for streaming, if you only do game streaming, that's a negative. Because with Steam, if you own the games on Steam, you can just easily pull them onto whatever device you want. And it's much better. But I, I do think that the like if you like Google Stadia, for example, if you buy a game on Google Stadia, you don't own that game. You're just perpetually renting it. So and, but you're still paying the same price if you bought it on Steam. Actually, probably more. If you get more. banned on Steam, though, and you lose access to your entire library, I think that's only for online play, right? It's not for your offline game. I you think still so. Play them yeah. offline. Yeah, get banned, correct. I'm pretty sure. Uh, with that, so that's interesting. It's a it's a constant problem because number one, there's so there's so much infrastructure that would have to be built for the entire gaming industry to go completely cloud. And that infrastructure is based on the internet being fast enough to actually for everyone, including areas to be able to game and utilize that. And that's just not the case. That's been the issue with Google Stadia. It's been the issue with NVIDIA. It's been the issue with every one of these services is it's already just a small market that actually have fast enough internet to take advantage of this to begin with. Um, But I think it's a good point to think about, Noah, that, you know, as time goes on and that infrastructure gets built, eventually they could start renting the stuff as a service entirely to us and we'll never own any of these games and you'll never have a backup to it. And they may just decide because there's some music license in the game that they can't even release it anymore and you could never share it with your kids. And that kind of sucks. But I do think hackers and archivers and people out there will keep that from happening somehow one way or another. I just feel like the code will get out and people will find a way around it. I don't think we can hold back technology because of that fear. And I think people will come up with a way of working around the problem probably. Yeah, they've already started. I mean, we do have good old games that you can download the games and, and Humble Bundle that you could use it independently of running it on Steam. So that is something, you know, and it, that's that area is actually growing, too. Yeah. But, you know, Noah, we talked about Apple there, and I know it's one of your favorite topics. There's something exciting going on for Apple users out there on Linux. There Can you is. explain it to us? So here's the thing. It constantly surprises us how many people have not heard of the app KDE Connect. If you've not heard of it, you absolutely have to check it out. KDE is an app that you can put on your phone. Uh, 
is available now on the iPhone. So previously, if you were using the iPhone and were living in the Apple world, you maybe didn't have access to this. Now you do. Um, and so if you head over to the Apple iTunes store, or the Google Play store and download KDE Connect, it's going to do a number of different things. Essentially, what it does is it connects your mobile device to your Linux desktop. And so it allows you to get things like messages and notifications on your Linux desktop from your phone as well as a very easy way of moving files between your phone uh, and your desktop. You can also customize commands like being able to remotely shut down your PC or lock your screen. You can also use it to play, pause, and skip or change the volume remotely from your phone while you're watching media. And of course, you can locate your phone um, by making it ring from your desktop. So an absolute must if you use KDE, or even if you don't use KDE, you can install KDE Connect and use it with other desktop environments. But if you're a Linux user, you'll absolutely want to check out KDE. And if you're an iPhone user, welcome to the family. Yeah. How and, many, mm -hmm. show of hands, who uses KDE Connect? Oh, um, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. 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 Everybody uses KDE <laughs> yeah, Connect. Absolutely. All right. I, I actually use it, uh, use GS Connect, which is the mm -hmm. uh, GNOME Shell extension and a complete implementation of KDE Connect. So I use that on a daily basis. <laughs> KDE Connect is, this is very important for people who are not aware. KDE Connect, while being made by KDE, does not require KDE Plasma. There are yeah. implementations <laughs> for various different things. There's even a fork that Zorin OS has their own. So you'll see Zorin Connect, but that's mm -hmm. Just a rebranded and more organized uh, approach to doing KD Connect for their own distro. But there's different things. There, every DE has the ability to do it. Different configurations, different features are available for everything. But most of the important stuff is available for every DE. So whether you have Plasma or not, you can still get the benefit. However, if you are using Plasma, you pretty much have the best experience for because it's just it's there out of the box on pretty much every Plasma distro. So this is a very awesome tool and if you do talk you know if you use gnome and you want to use gs connect just know that you will still need kd connect installed because it, it's it's more of like sitting on top of the gnome shell to give you access to kd connect but if you've never used it it is amazing and it will make it you will add up at this at once you install it and you start using it for a day or two you will yeah. you'll never not want it it's that good yeah. I love it when the phone rings and it, if you're watching YouTube, um, it automatically stops playing or pauses YouTube. <laughs> yes. you can, yeah, it's so take amazing. care of that situation. I do want to mention that for the iPhone, it's in beta right now. So they are still, there still could be bugs and issues as they're working through it. But the key is that they've broken through. I've seen screenshots they have of it and they're getting these features all working with the iPhone, which was not an option before. And it's not like Apple decided to grow a heart and was like, hey, let me help you build this stuff. Like these guys are out there building the developers for KDE Connect. Uh, just an awesome team of people in the community come together to make sure that if you're using an iPhone and you want to integrate with Linux and have your messages and things in there, that you have that option. So just a huge thanks to all the developers and the community out there supporting them. From a platform standpoint, that's one of the things people will talk about in Apple is kind of that cohesiveness amongst it where you can have your phone ringing or putting messages on your laptop, but you can do that in Linux too. And people don't know about Kitty Connect. They don't know that you could do that, but it's a huge time savings. I don't have to go find my phone if Michael sends me a message or somebody from work sends me a message because it's going to pop up on my computer or miss those messages, which mm -hmm. is critical in my environment. I can't afford to miss messages. I need things to let me know they're there and I need to take care of it and get my attention and KDE Connect helps facilitate that. So it's just an awesome piece of software. So speaking of gaming on Linux and to get you in the Halloween spirit, a game with over 1,200 very positive reviews called Gibbous, A Cthulhu Adventure is definitely one to check out. On Steam, the, the game describes itself like this. Crazy cultists, Cthulhu, a talking cat, Gibbous takes you on an, an expansive, traditionally animated, hand-painted adventure. Play as three protagonists and explore a lushly rendered Lovecraft-inspired world, unraveling ancient conspiracies and a comedy cosmic horror adventure made in Transylvania. <laughs> and that it is. So give us a Cthulhu adventure. It's a point and click puzzle adventure and it's easy to, to just uh, start playing. So anyone, anyone can, your, your family, your friends, your kids. 
And you know, this this game is like a live action cartoon with lots of story driven driven dialogue, and it's fun and horrifying at the same time. <laughs> but I in really a fun love way. the art in <laughs> here yeah, too. Art. Like with the the hand painted art adds such a whole different oh, element so to beautiful. games. Yeah, there, was, there are just a few games that have done this in the past, and I don't know. There's something about it that kind of. You're not only playing the game, but you're appreciating the art as an artist. Like you're walking through an art museum almost yeah, in so a lot beautiful. of cases because they're gorgeous. But then the dialogue on this looks so zany and fun, like mm-hmm. just really cool game. It's a, it's really yeah. interesting because it feels like a modern horror-esque combination with like the old, is it like Monkey Island or something? Was that, wasn't, is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Monkey like, Island. Yeah, yeah. There's, it feels <laughs> like that. And even the, the it has like a little bit of a vibe in terms of the art, but like like turned up a notch. Like it's just, it's, it's very stylized and it's very unique, but it also kind of reminds me of those kinds of point and click games. And it's just, it's just a really cool thing. And also I got to say there, one of the, there's multiple characters that you can play with, but one of the characters is a talking cat and it's just, it's just, it's just fun that the cat is constantly (laughs) annoying you and also the other people in the game. So it's a real life cat. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. What you think a cat would say is kind of how they would do it because of course we all know cats are demons. Uh, yeah. So it makes sense. It's so, in a horror game, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and what's cool is you start out playing a a very film noir looking sleuth named, get this, Don Archetype. Archetype. <laughs> and then and then as Michael says, you get to play a sassy black talking kite who snarkily guides you through the universe. And yeah, it features gorgeous HD art. Detailed traditional animation, wonderful voice acting, and is easy to navigate. Did we mention it has native Linux support? Yes. No way. Woohoo! <laughs> and when you look at very positive, 1,200 very positive reviews oh, I know. on there. Amazing. That's insane for this type of game. <laughs> but this looks like fun that you could play with the family as well, even though I don't think it's multiplayer, but just having the no. kids around it because a lot of yeah. it's just story driven and helping them solve the puzzles with you. I can see this as being a lot of fun with the family as well. Yeah. So we talked about KDE earlier and KDE Connect, and I just wanted to talk about another, in the software spotlight, by the way, is KDE Spectacle. So I wanted to talk about another thing, and there's, it's not just because I'm a fan You just of couldn't help yourself, Michael. It's, it's not just because Stop that. Stop talking I, about KDE. <laughs> I learned something recently about Spectacle that right. I didn't know about, and I wanted to share it. That's why. Uh, and it just happens to also fit the other stuff with KDE. Anyway, so KDE Spectacle is a screenshot tool for those who don't know, and it has all the basic stuff like you have, like full screen capture, like specific screen capture, uh, active window capturing, rectangular regional, like so you can choose where you want it to do it, which by the way, not all of the screen t- screenshot tools will remember where you made the, the region and Spectacle does, which is an awesome feature. Uh, but there's also other things like you can do screenshot delay, like a timer, a copy the clipboard. You can even exclude the mouse and the window borders if you want to. But the thing that I really liked about it is that, and also it's new to me, is that because it has an editor. And I did not know this, and I was talking about it on a live stream, and, and I mentioned how I like Spectacle, but I wish it had an editor. And someone said, click the uh-huh. annotate button, and then it opened an editor. So <laughs> in the editor, it gives you the ability to add arrows. You know, you have a pen tool for like selecting things or drawing on it, a highlighter, a text tool, blur and pixelate. You can do incremental number notations, add shapes or even emojis. I, I it's very cool. I, Too complicated. I th- sounds bloated. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, if you don't want to use the editor, you can just not click the button and your oh. problem solved. Right. <laughs> because uh, KDE Spectacle is just uh, such a good uh, application and. It was even better than I knew. So now you know that it has an editor too. Okay, cause yeah. stop, Michael. Cause That's stop. enough. Wow. <laughs> wow. What happened? I think it's like a holiday miracle or like, you know, Halloween miracle. You're you're the one doing the dad jokes, not me. I know. Why <laughs> this am I switching into your role? I, I'm, I'm like playing it. Michael for Halloween. <laughs> you're the Michael I have button now? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Before we close out, I wanted to mention some community events occurring around the world. If you have a Linux privacy open source event that you're interested in promoting, then please send us an email and we will do our best to capture it. But we mentioned last week the OSA conference, which this is going on on November 2nd. So this is coming up. 
this week. You got to get it scheduled. You got to put it on your schedule here. It's for open source analytics. This is the first open source analytics conference that I've seen out there, how to use analytics and open source together. They're going to have a bunch of virtual talks there, but also Seagull is going on. That is going on November 5th and 6th. So this is Seattle GNU Linux conference, but everyone is invited because it's virtual to join in here. And we're actually one of the media sponsors this year of Seagull. So if you go on the Seagull webpage, you'll see us there. You'll see Destination Woo-hoo. Linux. And like, I know them. I listen to them. Um, so go check out that. That's coming up November 5th and 6th. It's a virtual event. No matter where you're at, you can participate. And they have they describe themselves as free as in freedom and T grassroots technical summit dedicated to spreading awareness and knowledge about free Libra open source software, hardware, and culture. What's not to love about that? So November 5th and 6th, go check that out. And Fedora is coming this Tuesday, I think, officially. Fedora is going to be out. So if you've been helping with the beta testing, a huge thanks to you for all of your help and getting all those bug reports and things in. And we're about to have the official release of Fedora 35. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it to Destination Linux, we love your faces. And if you want more DL, you become a patron like all the amazing people behind the scenes in our 60,000 square foot virtual stadium. We're going to go hang out with them right after this show and talk about all kinds of Linux and geeky and open source stuff. And they get unedited versions of the show and all kinds of cool perks like that. So if you're interested, go check out Destination Linux Patreon. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. And also go right now to DLNstore.com is where you can go pick up some merch or swag. And we have t-shirts and we have mugs and hoodies and stickers and all sorts of great stuff. So check it out, DLNstore.com. And make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Get Your Fedora Hat On with the Fedora Podcast. So everyone head to DestinationLinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. See you next week. Bye-bye.